Well, good morning, everybody. If uh, you could take your seats. Um, I'll try again. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to worship. <laughs> uh, perhaps we could take our seats and continue conversation after the service. But, uh, it's lovely to, to be here this morning. Um, we seem a bit thin on the ground, possibly because it's, it's half term. Okay. So welcome to everybody, whether you're in the sanctuary or, or on Zoom. Um, it is good to be together to praise our God and to hear from, uh, to hear from him. Um, in terms of notices, uh, you should have had the weekly sheet either by email or um, a paper copy. Uh, draw your attention to the funeral and the service of Thanksgiving for Dave Weaver which is on the 7th of, of March, um, 11 o'clock at the Creme and 12.30 here. Their family is very, very small. So if you knew um, Dave or Ros and you, you can come along to support them, then, then please do. Martin, you wanted to yeah, speak to us. Yeah. yeah, just to say on um, the, the Dave Weaver's funeral, um, you'd be very welcome at the crematorium as well at 11 o'clock because there's literally only two family members, so they're going to feel very lonely if you don't go. So that's not a guilt thing, it's just an, it's just an encouragement to go and attend both. You'll be very welcome at both events. Um, yeah, so uh, it's uh, tonight, there is an exciting um, prayer meeting at six o'clock next door. Really encourage you to come along to that. Um, Jen McAllister shared a really exciting uh, vision with us as a church, um, which I shared on Monday morning. But I'd really like to share that in more detail and to uh, put some prayer points uh, out for you uh, to pray for. Um, so come along tonight at six o'clock next door in the lounge, and we're going to whoops, pray into that uh, Pray into that vision uh, that Jen, that God has shared with us through Jen. Also, um, it's, I don't know if you're aware, it's Lent begins this Wednesday. And uh, as we did last year as a church, we're encouraging um, people to voluntarily fast, mainly from food, for one day a week through the season of Lent. Um, fasting from food in the Bible is a very powerful way to see breakthrough in things that we're praying for, but also to heighten our sensitivity to spiritual things. If you've ever tried fasting from food, you know that, that there's a particular sensitivity that comes. And I'd encourage you to, to try it. Um, if you haven't ever fasted before, I've put out notes um, on email. If you're not on the email mailing list, there are hard copies um, on reception. Please take them with notes there about how to fast. Um, believe fasting and prayer very powerful weapons that we can wield and use to see spiritual breakthrough. So what I've done is I've put together a series of 11 prayer points for you to pray into based on those, uh, based on the prayer and fasting through uh, the 40 days of Lent. So starting this Wednesday through to Good Friday. Um, and uh, please, please get involved with that. If for medical reasons you're not able to fast from food, think about fasting from social media or from TV or whatever 
things sort of fill the holes in your day. Um, but fasting from food, if you're able to, I'd encourage you to, to have a go at that because it's a particular power in that. What I do is with every time I feel a hunger pang, I turn that into prayer. Um, and it might be if you're not using food as a fast, if you get a longing or a desire for uh, just popping on social media and scrolling, turn that desire or longing into a prayer time. Um, so have a look at the notes, have a look at the prayer points. And actually on the back of the prayer points sheet, I've put um, a prayer diary for all 40 days through Lent, different scriptures from the Old and New Testaments for you to use to inspire um, your prayers during, during your uh, every day. Um, but we're asking that you consider praying and fasting for one day a week. So uh, a pattern I suggest is that you, uh, so say you're fasting on a Wednesday, you, your last meal would be the Tuesday evening. You fast from breakfast and lunch on the Wednesday and then have your meal again as normal on the Wednesday night. That means you've taken a full 24 hour period. If you want to fast for longer, that's your choice. But if you want to, if you've ne if you're new to fasting and you've never done it before, why don't you just try missing one meal initially on one day of the week through through Lent? So have a look at the notes, have a have a try and see how you get on. But let's join together as a church in this season of prayer and fasting. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. Well, before we we um, come to sing, uh, let me just pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the wonder that is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've promised that you will be with your people when they're gathered together in your name, as we are this morning. And we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit amongst us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you move among us? Would you inspire us to, to worship our God? Would you give us the, the heart and the ears um, to listen to what you're saying to us? We welcome you here this morning. And uh, yeah, we just ask that we would hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. And so, uh, yes, yeah, so if you can stand, let's uh, uh, sing. We've got everyone's coming to praise. And I hope that's us this morning. We've come to praise.
you accept our praise this morning, our praise and our worship? And Holy Spirit, would you come upon us, come among us in power this morning? And we ask this in the precious, precious name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Going to hear from Mark now. Morning, everyone. Morning. How are we doing? Good to be here? Yes. yes? Excellent. So, today in Emerge, we are talking about faith. And so in my little talk today, I'm going to sort of try and explain a little bit about faith, because faith is a bit of a strange word, isn't it? Um, and I wonder who you think has faith, because I think everyone has faith in some way, shape or form, don't they? Because I guess we're all displaying faith now, aren't we? Yeah? You're all sitting on chairs. You have faith in the manufacturer of the chair, that the chair is going to be strong enough to hold you, and you're not going to end up in a heap on the floor. Let's pray, shall we? No. Um, but you can see the chair, you can feel the chair, can't you? And you know that it, it's strong. But you're also displaying faith in something that you can't see. Aren't you? Um, because there's something called gravity. Yeah, and, and you're displaying faith that you will remain sitting on your chair and not float up into the rafters. So we have faith in all sorts of different things. Because faith, as, as I say, a bit of a funny word. In the dictionary, it says faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. So here's a question. Do you trust me? Do you have faith in me? Because I need an assistant this morning. Alicia? No? Rachel? I only need one assistant, I'm afraid. Who, who's it going to be? Rachel or Emily? Oh, they're doing paper scissors. <laughs> Hi, Rachel. Thank you very much. Um, just, just take a seat on that chair. Um, Rachel, do you have faith in me? Yes. Yes. That's really good because I haven't told you what I'm about to do, yet you still have faith in me and trust me. Um, so what we're going to do here, if I've got some props, that's normal. 
Um, I have a cup, just an ordinary Commodore garden cup that I got from the kitchen. Okay, empty, nothing in it, and I have a bottle of water. Um, and what I'm going to do is, kids, do you want to come and sit on the front row so you can see what's going on? Yeah? So long as it works, that is. Pardon? Okay, that's good. And I'm going to get this bottle of water. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour the water into the cup. There's not much in there, Rachel. A little bit more. So I've put some water into the cup. Yeah, that's quite good. Um, and in a moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hold the cup over Rachel's head. <laughs> and I'm going to turn it upside down. Okay. So Rachel has faith in me. <laughs> Rachel. Um, I promise I won't soak you, hopefully. <laughs> um, but I've got, is your faith in me greater than your faith in gravity and the liquid properties of water? <laughs> yes, no? Yeah? Very nervous, yes. So, here goes. I'm going to pick up the cup. Oh, careful not to spill it. And we're going to hold it over Rachel's head. And on the count of three, you ready? Yeah. You, you heard of the ice bucket challenge, haven't you? Yeah. On, the, on the count of three, I'm going to turn the cup upside down. So here goes. Three, two, one. Okay, Rachel, did you get wet? That's great. <laughs> Thank you very much. You can go and sit down now. So Rachel had faith in me. She trusted me. She has known me. I've known Rachel for quite a long time now. So Rachel's got to know me. and She knows that I won't do anything nasty to her most of the time. Uh, and she trusts me because she knows me. But we have a faith that is far greater than Rachel's faith in me. It's far deeper, it's far more life-changing than Rachel's faith in me. As Christians, our faith is in the one true God, isn't it? You see, none of us have ever seen God face to face, have we? But we have experienced him. We see his work in the beauty of creation. We feel his love and trust and affection. We feel his care for us, don't we?
We might have heard from God through other people, through Martin's words, or through reading the Bible, because we have faith that the Bible is the inspired word of God as well, don't we? We have faith that Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, lived a perfect life, and then died to take the punishment for all the things that we do wrong. But more than that, he raised, it was raised to life again three days later, so that we could be adopted into our Heavenly Father's family, so that we could have eternal life in heaven with him. Jesus said to Thomas, you know, the doubting one, yeah, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet still believe. And that's all of us who have a faith in, who put our faith in Jesus. So if that's you, be blessed this morning. But if you've not made that choice yet, if you haven't chosen to follow Jesus, to put your faith in him, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your saviour yet, if you want to experience the joy and love and peace that a relationship with Jesus brings, why not do that today? Why not join our happy family and put your faith in Jesus? Thank you. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Rachel. Could we take up the offering, please? Lord, we thank you that we can have faith in you because your promises are, are true. You never break your promise. There's never a maybe about whether or not you will keep your promise. We thank you for that. And we thank you for the gifts that you give us in so many ways. We thank you for the gift of your creation. We thank you most especially for the gift of Jesus. But we thank you for all the material blessings that you give us. And we ask that you would accept this, this portion of what you've given us as we offer it back to you to be used in whatever way you choose. And Lord, we thank you for our young people. We thank you for their, their leaders. And we thank you for what they're going to be hearing and talking about um, this morning in terms of faith. We know that you'll be with them just as you are with us as we, we stay here for the, the rest of the service. Lord, would you bless them and speak to them. May they hear you this morning, as indeed may we. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So it's time for our children and young people to go to Emerge and uh, Crash. if you're going to Crash.
And we'll be hearing from Martin later on, um, and the title he's given it is Repentance and the Gift of the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Holy Spirit is, 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 plays a key role, in, in, as in so many things. It's only the Holy Spirit who can truly shine a light on the things that we've done wrong, who can truly convict us of our need for repentance. And when we come to repentance, uh, come in repentance, we know that we can do that in full confidence of receiving forgiveness because of what Jesus has done for the on the cross. And uh, his word promises us, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's because of what he's done for us on the cross in our place. And so we're, we're going to sing again, um, just focusing on, on our Savior and, and what he has done for us um, that means that we can come in, in repentance before God.
leads can I invite you to speak out words of, of love of praise of thanksgiving to our God to our Jesus the lamb who sits on the throne to you Lord all the things that I've done that displeased you Father you called me you chose me when I was the last thing on my mind was you, Father, in the depths of despair, you, you just shone your light into my heart and you showed me your reality. You showed me, Jesus, by your spirit, what you've done for me. And you just washed away everything that had gone before. And you say, I'm a new creation. I am brand new. There are times when that's so unbelievable, isn't it? But it is the truth. 
Mm. And I just, I just overawed by mm. the grace and the mercy of you. And I just thank you. Thank you, thank you, Lord. That mm. even now, when I still disappoint you and fall and fail, Father, the cross is there, the blood is there. And all I need to do, Lord, is just tell you about what I've done. Just admit to it, confess it, Father, and again, it's washed away. Just incredible. Every day, your mercies are new every morning, Father. And we can put our life on that. We have put our life on that, our eternal life on that. And it's just wonderful, Lord. If only the whole world knew. <laughs> There be any atheists? I think not. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I know it's the testing of my faith. Why I'm feeling so down today. The Lord, it's you that makes me strong. Without you, Lord, I can't go on. But I know you're here with me. So on my knees, won't you hear my plea? I need you now. Lord, I need I need you now, Lord, I need you now. I need you now, my Lord, the beginning and the end, forever and ever. In Jesus' name, I love you, my Lord. Amen. Amen. Lord, we all need you. And we just thank you that everything that Anne prayed about either has been or can be true for each one of us because you love each one of us so much. And Lord, we do thank you that any shame or stain of, of guilt and sin has been lifted, has been cleansed by you on the cross. Oh Lord, would you help us always to join creation in singing salvation song, because you are our saviour. Amen. Amen. Martin's going to be speaking from Acts chapter 2, from verses 22 to 41. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you 
by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Father God, that's such an amazing passage. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here with us this morning, and we pray that he will anoint Martin in power, but also just give us the, the ability to hear what you're saying to us and the desire to put it into practice. Amen. Good morning. So I want to talk today about repentance and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, by the way, uh, there's a wonderful spirit-led song ruby thank you for leading us in that because that song that ruby shared is really models repentance for us repentance is turning away from our guilt and failure and sin 
and turning to Christ for his forgiveness and cleansing and to be set free uh, from the power of things that hold us back. So bless you for stepping out in faith and uh, doing that. That's, you've just modeled repentance for us, so bless you. Um, our society at large has moved away from the idea that we are accountable to God for, who, for how we live. So repentance is not a word that you will hear these days. Guilt is not a word that's wide, widely used. Um, people shame you will hear. People are often ashamed of, of their behavior, but there is no real accountability in our culture anymore to God. And the idea of sin and guilt have largely disappeared, at least in relation to, to God. The modern sort of sayings that you'll see around, often with a hashtag in front of them, are, are some of these. So, uh, hashtag live your best life. Um, be real, be true, be yourself. You do you. Uh, follow your heart. And there are hundreds of these hashtag sayings around, aren't there? They're just, they're just everywhere. And, but what you notice, they've got one thing in common. They're all very self-centered. It's all about you can be the best you by listening to your heart, by listening to the voice within, by being true to yourself, by being your authentic self. You can live a full and happy and contented life. Uh, really? Uh, J.P. Morland, an American um, philosopher, says this about the self-centered freedom mantras like this of the West. Quote, we reduce freedom to the right to do whatever we want. The results of this new freedom have been nothing short of catastrophic. 40 million Americans report a major episode of clinical anxiety or depression each year. Suicide rates among teenagers, especially teenage girls, are at the highest ever recorded. Addictions are rampant. Guys are increasingly preferring pornography to dating and on and on. As the record-breaking numbers reveal, the be true to yourself notion of creating our own identities runs contrary to the loving God boundaries that God has built into human nature for joy and flourishing. That's powerful, isn't it? Something inherently wrong with a self-centered view of life. There is a disease in our Western culture, and it's a disease of self-centeredness. And there's a link between the loss of a sense of God, of our culpability in sin, and our loss of God from our culture. The truth is, we, we were born with a conscience. We're supposed not to look inside ourselves for the answers, but to look outside of ourselves to God. We're, we are supposed to, uh, to know about guilt rather than avoiding it or scapegoating it, but then we're supposed to bring our guilt and shame and sin to God. Um, our culture says that we are good, essentially good. We, we, uh, our culture recognizes that there are evil people and people who are not very nice, but essentially we're told that we are all pretty good compared with that person over there. But just think about this for a moment. If you were to think about all the things that you think about during a day, if those thoughts were 
transposed up onto a screen and you brought your family in to watch your thoughts through the day, would you ever say, I'm a good person? Of course you wouldn't. Or imagine um, that you have to go to work or school, and some people have to do this, don't they, with a video recorder around your neck, filming every word action that you do through the day. And there are people that, that have to live their lives, or their jobs like this. Imagine if you played that back, what your uh, words and actions might say. Would you be as good a person as you think you are? We all struggle, don't we, uh, with various things. We might struggle with anger and unforgiveness towards others, with resentment. We might struggle with lustful thoughts. We might fail to keep our word or bend the truth. Um, we might struggle with apathy or laziness when things need doing. We might struggle with overindulgence for food or drink. We might cover other people's lives and not be thankful for our own lives. We might endlessly worry about how things will go and turn out, catastrophizing things to the nth degree rather than bringing them to God in prayer. You fill the gap for yourself. We are all in need of forgiveness, aren't we? Just think about it. William McClay, an American history professor, writes about the strange persistence of guilt in Western culture, despite the loss of a sense of God. And he talks about our culture has moved towards scapegoating. Um, we are still guilty as a culture, despite the fact that we don't talk about God, we are still guilty. We still feel that we are not as good as we should be. We still look at our scientific and technological advancements and we look at the way that we are ruining the planet and that we are mistreating others. We look at injustice and poverty and climate destruction and we feel guilty, but we've got nothing to do. We've got nowhere to put our guilt anymore. There's no solution for it because we have taken God out of the equation as a culture. So to try and escape our sense of guilt and failure, what do we do? We turn ourselves into victims on social media as those who are the underdog, the victim, rather than the perpetrators of sin. Or we blame our own failures on a host of other things as a culture. We blame our parents for not bringing up us well. We blame, our, we blame our genetics. We blame the environment we grew up in. We blame psychological disorders. We blame everything but ourselves. So we're no longer culpable. We scapegoat. We place our guilt and sin onto others or other things. And what's the result of all this? We are the most unhappy culture that's ever been. We have more than any other generation, more advancement than any other generation, and we're the most unhappy we've ever been as a civilization. None of this scapegoating or blame shifting is helping us with our levels of contentment as a culture. So I'm not here to depress you, all right? So having given you the bad news, the good news is that Jesus sets us free. 
Jesus' good news to a culture that is broken and struggling with shame and guilt, a, a culture that is without hope. Jesus came and died and rose again and ascended to set us free. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We have good news, folks, to speak into our culture. Christianity is good news in a guilt-ridden, shame-ridden culture. A culture that's forgotten the good news of the gospel. We can be good news. Do you believe that? Yeah. Good. But we've got to live in that good news. We've got to be beacons of hope. We've got to be the sort of people that say, you know, I've screwed up. You know, I've failed. You know, I'm not as good as I should be. But you know, there is one who is perfect and bore my sin and guilt and shame. And do you know what? I know I'm forgiven. I have peace. I'm not burdened and broken with guilt and shame and failure because Jesus took it off me. I think that's good news. Amen? So I want to look today at the second half of Peter's sermon where he basically preaches that you can be set free from guilt. You can know forgiveness. You can know the gift of the Spirit when you turn to Jesus in repentance. All of that's yours. But I want to say this. Repentance is not a one-off thing that you do when you come to faith. To quote Martin Luther, repentance is a way of life for the Christian. Right? So first, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus demand a response. You can't, well, you can listen to the gospel and sit on the fence and go, but actually... If you really hear the gospel and you really take it in, you're going to either reject Jesus, if you're being totally honest and true to yourself, or you're going to accept him and turn to him in repentance. You can be lukewarm and sit on the fence, but really you haven't allowed yourself to hear the gospel if you do that. This gospel is radical. Um, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost that it was always God's plan for Jesus to be handed over to death. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. God knew it was going to happen and planned that it was going to happen. And you, that's the people listening, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. That's an awkward moment in a sermon, isn't it? You put him to death. But even then, God's plan was not stopped. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Even the ascension, well, both the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus were prophesied a thousand years before by David. 
So the resurrection of Jesus in Acts 6, sorry, in Psalm 16, Peter quotes David's prophetic word about Jesus. Here it is in verses 29 to 31. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. Go and look up Psalm 16 later. You'll see, sorry, Acts 16. No, Psalm 16. Psalm 16, there it is, it's back. Go and look it up. And David also prophesied that Jesus would ascend back to heaven in Psalm 110. Peter quotes this in verse 34. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He was speaking of Jesus. And he said that Jesus would ascend to heaven and his enemies would be his footstool. In other words, he put his foot on their necks, which is a sign of victory over his enemies. So having built Jesus up as this king and victor, reigning at the right hand of the father, here's the punchline, the killer blow, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Oh, dear. You know, these crowds that are called crucify him, crucify him on Good Friday and said, free Barabbas, the insurrectionist and the murderer. And they called for Jesus to be crucified. And he was the king of kings, the lord of the lords and the sustainer of the universe. And they called him for him to be killed rather than Barabbas. He's the Lord and Christ. He's the one reigning at the right hand of the father. He's the ruler of the universe. And you killed him. No wonder the crowd say, what should we do to Peter? What should we do? In other words, the Holy Spirit brought conviction on them. And they cried out, help us. Um, There's a paradox here, isn't it? Because God holds them accountable for the death of Jesus. They're guilty of killing him. And yet it was always God's plan for Jesus to die and rise again and ascend. Okay, doesn't work. Shouldn't work, should it? Right? Shouldn't work. But that's God is his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And what applies to human beings doesn't apply to God. He can live with paradox and tensions like that. They are responsible, but it was always God's plan that Jesus should die to set us free from sin and guilt. God used the death of Jesus to justify his people that turned to him. It was the old Sunday school thing about justification is just as if they'd never sinned, right? Because Jesus died in our place. He bore the cost of our sin, which is death, in our place. It's just as if we'd never sinned. Um, here's an illustration. There was a man in England who put his Rolls Royce on a boat and went across to the continent to go on holiday. While he was driving around Europe, something happened to the motor of his car. 
Um, I got in trouble at nine o'clock with this illustration, by the way, because somebody's engine blew up yesterday. <laughs> and needless to say, they don't have a Rolls Royce. <laughs> so anyway, back to the story. He enabled the Rolls Royce people, but he cab cabled them, sorry, and said, I'm having trouble with my car. The engine's gone wrong. What do you suggest I do? Well, the Rolls Royce people flew a mechanic over. The mechanic repaired the car, flew back to England and left the man to continue his holiday. As you can imagine, the, the, the guy was wondering, how much is this going to cost? So when he got back to England, he wrote a letter to Rolls Royce and said, how much do I owe you? He received a letter back from the office that simply read, quote, dear sir, there is no record anywhere in our files that anything ever went wrong with a Rolls Royce, unquote. You might cynically say that's in the cost of the Rolls Royce. Maybe so, but it was a nice surprise when it came. The reality is there's no cost to us for our sin when we trust in Jesus because he bore the cost of our forgiveness, which was death. We are set free. We are acquitted at the bar of God's justice. It's just as if we'd never sinned. Amen. But to receive this justification and not guilty verdict, we need to turn to Jesus in faith and repentance. Number two, then. Repentance enables forgiveness and reception of the Holy Spirit. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Use this illustration before, very simple. Before we knew Jesus, we were going in our, in our own direction, doing our own thing. We were doing the be true to yourself hashtag, right? I'm living life my way, being true to my own heart, living the authentic me, searching for the answers within, and I'm going in this direction, and I'm rejecting Jesus. When we repent, we turn around, and we walk in step behind Jesus, and say, Jesus, I don't, I'm not going to live life my way anymore. I'm going to live life in submission to you, following you. That's what repentance means. It's to give up being true to ourselves, and it's to live entirely in submission to Jesus. It's the opposite of hashtag, you only live once. It's the opposite of hashtag, um, be true to yourself, right? It's, it's living in submission to Jesus as your king. Repentance is a way of life, not a one-off. Um, Jesus gave us an illustration of this. He said to Peter, he was just about to wash Peter's feet and Peter said, no, you're not doing mine. I don't know whether he had a bad feet or, I think it's probably that he thought it was beneath Jesus to wash his feet. And Peter, he said to Peter, unless I wash your feet, you've got no part with me. It was the lowest of the low job, right? To wash somebody's feet, lower than a Jewish servant. And Jesus gave an illustration at this point. He said, look, Peter, you've had a bath. You've been washed clean. But when you walk between houses for a, for a meal, you pick up dust and dirt on your feet. And you will need a foot wash when you get to the house. Right? 
So you better let me wash your feet, because if you don't let me wash your feet, they're going to be dirty. So although you've had a bath, you don't need another bath, you do need a foot wash every day, because you pick up dirt along the way. And that's why we need to repent. You've had a bath. If you've turned to Jesus and trusted in him, you've had a bath. You don't need another one. You only need to get baptized in water as a symbol of that once. Full immersion, by the way. Once you've done that, you don't need to go back in that pool, right? And that's a symbol that you've been washed clean once and for all. But you do need to confess your sins because you pick up dust and dirt along the route of life, right? Which is why the Apostle John says this, 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Anybody not need to pray that? Hands up, come forward if you don't need to pray that. No response. All of us need to pray that daily, which is why confession is in the Lord's Prayer, right? You've been washed clean once and for all by Jesus. You've had a bath. You don't need another baptism in water. You don't need another full washing, but you do need your hands and your feet cleansed by confession and repentance because you pick up dirt along the way. So to stay clean, you need to confess sin and walk in forgiveness and cleansing. Just to illustrate this, imagine um, someone had been in hospital a long time and, uh, you know, you get institutionalized, apparently. I've never been in hospital a long time, but it takes a while when you come out, people tell me, to get used to the freedom of being back at home, right? You've got, you've got into the routines, the interruptions of hospital, and it takes a while to get there. But once you're free of all that institutionalization, you can enjoy being back at home. Wouldn't it be strange if somebody having come out of hospital a long time ago then said to you when you visited them, do you know what? I quite liked hospital. I didn't mind being woken up all hours of the night and day. I want to go back there. How ridiculous and absurd would that be? Um, it's the same with us as Christians. We've been set free from a pattern of sinful habits. We've been set free from guilt and shame. We don't want to go back there, do we? We want to live in the freedom that Jesus has won for us by walking in step with the Holy Spirit, right? Don't want to go back to the past. And that's what it means to live a new life in the power of the Spirit. To walk in step with the Spirit is to repent of sin and walk in it daily. It's to say, Lord, I don't want to go back to the old sinful habits. I want to keep walking in step with the Spirit every day. Another illustration is this. Um, I don't know if you've got a room in your house for clutter, um, but sometimes that can be a problem because if you've got family or friends that want to visit, you go, oh, I really, I'd really like to be able to accommodate you, but this I've, I've only got this number of bedrooms. And actually, that's not true. You've got more bedrooms. It's just that one of the bedrooms is full of boxes and junk. And you're kicking yourself because you're going, I wish we could really use the fullness of this house, but we can't because we've got all this rubbish and we've got no time to declutter it and sort it out. So sorry, you can't come and stay. Some of us do that to the Holy Spirit, don't we? We say to the Holy Spirit, look, I've got time 
or I can't be bothered to declutter my life with sin, so I'm afraid you can't come into the whole house of my life because that room is out of bounds, right? So we might be struggling with a sinful pattern or habit where we've shut the door and we're keeping clutter in there and we're saying to Jesus, you can have every other part of my life, but you're not coming in there. And so we don't allow the fullness of the spirit through our whole lives. That's not what God wants. God doesn't want a secret room with guilt and shame and sinful habits stuck in there, right? Whatever that is for you. He doesn't want you to be angry and unforgiving and shut the door on that and refuse to deal with it. He wants you to open the door and declutter it, confess it, get free of it, right? Whatever it is, worry, anxiety, endless without committing to God. Um, Lying, whatever, whatever the sinful pattern is. Allow the Holy Spirit to declutter it. Because God wants to fill every part of your life with the fullness of his spirit. That's what repentance brings. Repentance brings about fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, self-control, gentleness, and so forth, right? And if we're shutting off um, parts of our life, the Holy Spirit can't grow all the fruit that he wants to grow in our lives because we shut him out. I don't know about you, I don't want a secret room where I'm shutting God out of. Do you? I want him to have every part. And so if there's a part, a room of my life that's cluttered, I want to declutter it. I want to offer that secret sin, that habit to him and say, Lord, I want to be killing this sin so it's not killing me. Right? To use John Owen's phrase. I want to declutter, Lord, so that you can have the fullness of your spirit at work in me. Some of you just need simply to turn back to Christ. You've wandered away from him. You've given up him being the center and priority and love of your life. Other things have got in the way, crowded in, and he wants you back. He wants you back. He wants your heart back. And he wants you to just turn back to him in repentance and say, Jesus, I'm sorry I've drifted. I'm coming back to you. As Matt Redmond put it, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you, Jesus, right? I've drifted. I've faltered. I've walked away. I've moved away from you, Jesus. And do you know what? I want to get back to that place of peace and joy and contentment. That's what Jesus offers you. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. You won't find fullness of life in any other place on earth than in Christ. So let's stop kidding ourselves, right? We're not going to find fullness of life in pleasure. You'll, you'll get enjoyment from it. You'll get enjoyment from things and food and holidays and pleasure and leisure. But it's not the center of life right? It's not where you'll find meaning and purpose and ultimate fullness and contentment. These are good gifts from God, but they're not the center of our lives. I just spent a week, uh, a, well, not a weekend, but one night away with a load of old mates from university first time round. They're all searching desperately for the same thing, which is Jesus. 
And they know I follow Jesus, and I tell them I follow Jesus. But they're all trying everything, like yoga, meditation, Buddhism. You know, this is what men do in their 50s. They start searching for answers because they're not happy, right? If we moved away to Cornwall, I'd be happy, they say, right? If I got out of London, the big smoke, and moved to Devon, it'll all come good. They're all searching for answers, right? The only answer is Jesus. Let's stop running away, kidding ourselves that we can find fulfillment and meaning and purpose and contentment in anything else but in Jesus. I have come that you may have life and have it in all its fullness. And for some of you, the Holy Spirit wants to fill your life more fully. But you need to declutter. You need to say to Jesus, you can, I, do you know what? I want to kill this sinful habit. It's not honoring to you. It's stopping you filling my life. And I want you to fill my life. That's costly. That takes courage. Takes commitment. Takes sacrifice. But do you know what? If you do it, you will be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And that's a gift that's worth having. So let's stand before Jesus, shall we? We're in the presence of the risen one, the ascended one, the one who is at the right hand of the Father. Amen? The one who holds the keys of death and hell, who's the Alpha and the Omega, the all-powerful one, the one to whom God has given all authority and power in heaven on an earth. Do you want more of him? Do you want to return to him? Do you want his spirit to fill your life more fully? Let's do business with Jesus in the quiet. Holy Spirit, bring conviction in us about sinful habits and patterns. So right now, in the quietness of your own heart and mind, let's bring those cluttered rooms of our lives, whatever the sin for habit is, let's bring it to Jesus and confess it and ask him to cleanse us. And not just to forgive us, but let's turn our back on that sin and say, no more, Lord. Help me to say to the spirit, help me to live without that pattern of sin. Break me free from it. Let's just do that business with the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Some of you have a pattern of worry, which the Lord wants to break. A pattern of anxiety, which, yeah, there's, anxiety is a thing, but there is a, there is a remedy for worrying endlessly. It's called prayer. So bring yourself to God and repent of the worry and the, the anxiety. Commit to pray. Receive the forgiveness that Jesus wants to give you. Receive the peace, the joy of knowing that you're his child and that he wants to forgive you and cleanse you, set you free from the power of sin. And some of you, the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you back. I want you to recommit. You've drifted. And I want you back because I love you. You're my precious child and I have good things for you. So why don't you turn back to Jesus right now and say, Lord, I've missed you. I repent of living without you and I'm coming back to you, Jesus. Do that now.
Holy Spirit, you've heard the repentance and the confession of our hearts. And now we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill us afresh. Fill us with power. Fill us with the fruit of the Spirit. Father, let us know how much you love us. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with your holy presence. We want more of you, Holy Spirit. Let's just wait in the quietness and the stillness. Why don't you just, in your own prayers, just cry out for more of the Spirit now to fill you with power and the presence of God. Just do that now. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, fill us afresh. Come, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here in Jesus' name. Just receive the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Let him wash over you and through you. Let him cleanse you. Let him set your heart aflame again. Let him give you a new love for Jesus. Let him set you free from the power of sin. Come, Holy Spirit, do you have your way in us. Have your way in us. If you've been struggling with shame and guilt, why don't you allow the Holy Spirit to set you free from that memory so that you know that you've been set free once and for all. No longer in condemnation. Here in the grace of God I stand. Receive that verdict over your life of you've been justified. It's just as if you'd never sinned. Receive the peace that Jesus can give you of being justified and forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to sing our final song. Isn't it wonderful that we don't need to be fearful of asking the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin because the result isn't guilt. The result is leading us to repentance and forgiveness. And um, yeah, that's the next verse of this song, I just love it. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Um, and we're all going to sing that in a minute. I just think it's a, a wonderful verse. Thank you.
Lord God, our, our hearts are just full of thankfulness to think that our sinless Savior died, that our sins might be forgiven. We might be declared righteous, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. Holy Spirit, would you continue to convict us day by day of our need to repent, our need to turn to you, our need to walk with Jesus. Amen.